Hello and welcome. Today, Max is going rogue. Max, what are you going rogue about? I am going rogue about Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade by Delilah S. Dawson. <gasps> Um, so last month, actually, I went rogue uh, talking about Charles Soule's Darth Vader comics, um, and in it we got a lot of really good Inquisitor content, and so I was really excited for uh, Inquisitor, Rise of the Red Blade by Delilah S. Dawson because it was it, it's completely unattached to anything in all of its uh, promotions and marketing, so a lot of the um, Star Wars stuff that's been coming out right now, it's either like a tie-in to the new High Republic timeline or it's like a promotion for uh, the Star Cruiser or Galaxy's Edge or a, a tie-in to a movie that's coming out. And uh, Delilah S. Dawson's previous two Star Wars books are pretty well received uh, by Star Wars fans. She did Black Spire, which was a promotion, basically, a tie-in to uh, the theme park, Galaxy's Edge. And she also did Phasma, which was part of the lead-up to uh, The Last Jedi. And I didn't read Black Spire, but a lot of people really like it. I read Phasma, and I liked Phasma a lot. So I decided to read Inquisitor, Rise of the Red Blade. And it is... Uh, I'll, I'll give it my um, spoiler-free review first. It's amazing. I think it is my favorite Star Wars book of Dang. the of the current canon. I oh damn! I'm gonna stop listening. I want to go read it. <laughs> it's really good. It is really good, and I highly recommend it. And um, uh, I specifically noted Charles Soule's um, Darth Vader comic series because, uh, like I said, there's a lot of good Inquisitor content mm -hmm. in there, and there's a lot of really good parallels between that comic series specifically and this book that I really appreciated. So. If you, if you like the comics, I highly recommend um, reading this book. But it is basically a deep dive into a Jedi and a Jedi's journey from falling so far from grace, from the light side to the dark side, to eventually becoming an Inquisitor, basically the exact opposite of a Jedi. Mm -hmm. And we've, we know that there's tons of Inquisitors within this um, uh, era of the Empire, and so it's really cool to get a deep dive of a character and how they kind of transform from that that's Jedi all the way to the uh, Inquisitor phase. Yeah. So it is it's really cool and it's it's really well written. Um, I will say I'm not like a huge reader, and Delilah S. Dawson's chapters are very short, which I that's really nice. appreciate. Uh, that makes reading so much easier. I, especially as an adult person. Being thirty years old now, um, I feel like having. That's the first one to reach thirty. Uh, I feel like uh, I'm proud of it. Uh, <laughs> I but I feel like not having as much time anymore. Just to sit down, like not in college anymore, right? You, being able to sit down, having smaller chapters is viable because I hate nothing pains me more than being able to have having to stop halfway through a chapter or yeah. even less than that, mark it, and then go back to read and be like, I don't even remember where I was at or what was happening. I'm randomly on this other page in the middle of a pair. Like, it's just so hard. Yeah. So smaller chapters, big thumbs up. This is super specific, but I really hate it when books have long chapters. But within single chapters, they have, like, those breaks of, like, Ugh. five yes. lines of nothing. Just new chapter. Yeah, like, that's a break. <laughs> that's a natural break. Put yep. a chapter there. Yep. Or part two. Yeah, I'm something. Um, but no, Delilah S. Dawson's writing, it is, it, is very, it is very good. It is very detailed, and she paints a really good picture, and it is short chapters, and there's a good amount of action, too. Um, obviously, it's a book, so there is a lot of internal development. So um, I'm about to get into my spoiler portion of the review now. So if you do want to go read the book, I would turn off now. But if you want to just get a, a 
synopsis, a pretty detailed synopsis. Uh, here I go. So Luke this Taylor is... just uh, walked up, sort of walked away. It was weird. I, I did not. This is actually my preferred method of of consuming books because I hate reading, but I would love to know the story. So I'm here for it. Also, so, last thing, I've been dying to try to come up with some sort of joke about her last names because I said that uh, the Vader comics had a lot of soul. <laughs> and I'm still oh, thinking about it because that's Dawson. hilarious to me. I've been thinking about it ever since I said it. Um, all right. So. Rise of the Red Blade by Delilah S. Dawson. So we start with a character, a Jedi Padawan by the name of Iskot Akaris and her master, Sember Vey. Iskot is a, a race of unknown species. She doesn't know her home planet, and she doesn't know the name of her own species. What? I love that already. Yeah. Well, it's, well, it's a major plot point, too, so they get into it quite a bit. Um, and she does not have a close relationship with her master, Sember Vey, who is very quiet and standoffish. They, uh, she's, she always kind of relegates certain training, such as her combat training, lightsaber training, to a droid. Uh, Semperve never, never trains her in any sort of combat or anything like that, and it always causes a lot of conflict between the two. So it's interesting to see that relationship between a master and a pad one. They're both female. Yes. Okay. So Iskot travels with her master Semperve to recover Jedi and Sith artifacts to bring them back to the Jedi Temple. Uh, in the first chapter, they find a Sith book, and they bring it back after being told to come back quickly. There seems to be something going on in the galaxy. Uh, also, in the first chapter, we get a little bit of a, a reference to some sort of column incident. Do you know what era we're in? Yes. Was it Bine? They make it, it connects the dots in the next chapter. <sighs> so um, I'm so impatient, I can't even let someone <laughs> give me the highlights. <laughs> in chapter two, we uh, see... Um, one of Iskot's few friends within the Jedi Order, another Padawan, a Twi'lek, a black Twi'lek by the name of Talon. That was one of the Inquisitors in the Charles Stoll series, is it? It is. Oh, my God. Um, and uh, they are told that they uh, are summoning as many Jedi as they can in order to go to Geonosis to rescue <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi and his Padawan and a senator. So already it's really cool because uh, we always joke about how we see Order 66 from a bunch of different perspectives and Order 66 mm -hmm. is obviously in the book, but we also get to see the Battle of Geonosis from somebody else's cool. perspective, which is a lot of fun. So um, Iskot and a bunch of other Padawans and their masters go uh, to Geonosis. Um, uh, it's almost immediately upon arrival, a fellow Padawan is killed. Uh, and then in the Battle of Geonosis, we see it from Iskot's uh, point of view. Uh, she is naturally very good at combat, and even she herself is very surprised with how natural it's coming to her. And she feels a power that she hasn't felt since the Column Incident. Uh, and then we get backstory on this quote-unquote Column Incident. Um, apparently it was an incident where they were training... And Iskot uh, uh, got upset, and she accidentally pulled down a column on another Padawan, and she paralyzed her. Uh, oh the my Padawan's God. name is Tika, and she left the order. Oh, my God. Um, Tika Waititi. That is so dark. Interesting. Iskot Fitzgerald. Okay, that's it is it. dark, actually. Uh, you know what? I wasn't going to say this, but I'll go back. Speaking of this being a dark book, I knew from the very beginning that this book was going to be different because it mm -hmm. starts with a note from Delilah S. Dawson saying, basically, I'm going to summarize it very poorly, but hey, just so you know, someone in this book kills themselves. And, you know, this is a very serious thing. If anyone's struggling with mental health, you know, uh, yeah. there's resources. And she kind of talks a little bit about her struggle with it, too, in the past. Yeah. And it was just a really interesting note to start the book off with That's... because it immediately put it in my head like, okay, this book is going to be pretty dark, yeah. isn't it? Um, as well as it constantly made me think like, who's going to kill themselves? <laughs> is, is it a Jedi? Oh, we'll see. Oh my God. I, I am not an emotionally stable 
place enough to even listen to this book. I would immediately <laughs> put that book down. This is crazy. <laughs> um, and then, so uh, they get to Geonosis, and it's interesting. We see it from uh, Iscot's perspective, and it's uh, uh, really fun. Um, she's like with a bunch of other clone troopers and Jedi, and they're going in basically from the back. And uh, she says, like, once she, like, kind of looks around and sees the arena, but, like, she's, like, off to, like, the side tunnel. And she says, like, oh, the only thing I could see in the distance was a, a purple blade being ignited on some, like, balcony off in the distance. And then every other Jedi's lightsaber comes on. And I'm like, oh, I know that scene from my head. <laughs> um, and what color lightsaber does she have? Do we know yet? Does it come up? Um, green. Hell yeah. <sighs> I'm you pretty know, sure it's green. You know I love is it red later? <laughs> it, it is red later. Um, Rise of the Red Blade. While at uh, Geonosis, uh, unfortunately, Iskat Akaris's master, Sember Vey, dies to a Geonosian. Oh, good. We didn't like her anyway. That's okay. To a Geonosian? That sucks. <laughs> That's an unflattering death. Um, when, when she was... Uh, uh, dying, um, Iscott was able to run over to her and Sembervay communicated cryptic last words apologizing to Feyre, saying that she, like you, and that saying she is like you and that she has done all she could. And so, as she's dying, Iscott's asking her, like, who's Feyre? Who, what, what are you talking about right now? And she's just saying, like, oh, I, I did the best I could with her. She's just like you. I'm sorry. And so, she is led to believe she doesn't. She knows nothing of her family, of her her own species, her home planet, or anything like that. So she gets it in her head that this Feyre must be her mother. Um, and then she uh, leaves Geonosis, but she's rightfully, you know, kind of traumatized by everything that happens. Um, back on Coruscant, she is cleaning out Sembervay's belongings, and she finds a lightsaber with a yellow blade, Luke, Hey-o. and it has an extra wide hilt like one that is customized for her species because her species has extra long fingers and so uh, Iscot's mm. lightsaber blade is extra thick to uh, accommodate for that. Husky. She got extra Husky. long fingers? Is she like a larger than humanoid alien or just big fingers? She's, um, <laughs> f- from the description I've read, she was very humanoid, a lot of human characteristics. The only difference is, is she has red skin, very long fingers, and uh, like very dark black hair. Long fingers is a unique character. It is. Trait. It is, because uh, everything else is basically just human with red skin. <laughs> so the door handles. <laughs> <laughs> That's only thinking about the realty. Um, back at Coruscant, after she cleans out Simbervay's belongings and finds the lightsaber, they hold a funeral for all the Jedi, um, and uh, uh, immediately uh, she uh, Iscot goes to the archives and tries to research Feyre and sees if she can find anything maybe previously in the Order. Um, during this time, uh, she is called to a uh, kind of an emergency ceremony where she is knighted by Jedi Mace. Excuse me. She is knighted as a Jedi by Mace Windu. And then we get some interesting insight into the uh, knighting ceremony. Uh, Mace Windu cuts off their Padawan braids or chains in lieu of a braid if they don't have he- hair. Um, and this is also the time where Anakin was knighted as a Jedi Knight. And we learned that they lifted the Jedi trials as a wartime measure. So they basically just took a bunch of Padawans and made them Jedi Knights because they kind of had to. Yes, we just talked about this not that long ago about how it was the uh, Empire and they, how they presume we had to do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With Admiral Ozzel. So, yes, um, <laughs> actually. So, Sember, or I'm sorry, Iscott uh, continues to struggle with this. Uh, you know, she, she felt like 
she felt very uh, natural when she was fighting. She felt like uh, the force was like really speaking to her during that time. And she doesn't have a master. So she's trying to figure out, you know, more about herself, more about her training, where she should go. Um, and so, you know, some Jedi try reaching out to her, one of whom is Jocasta New, the librarian oh. of the Jedi Archives. Oh, Jocasta nice. New content lately. Yeah. Because it's it's all crossover with the the Charles Soule comic books. So um, uh, Jocasta New offers her a position in the Jedi Archives, but Iscott turns it down. She feels that the Jedi are trying to relegate her to something that is not suited for her because they don't want her to find out more about her natural abilities and the powers that she is naturally gifted at. Um, she's eventually given new robes. She finds a garden at the Jedi Temple where she meditates. Uh, she meets a droid tech named Hizo, who's part of the temple staff. And he tells her that there are hidden parts of the temple having to do with the dark side. She, Iskot is later sent on a mission with another Jedi named Josk Navar and Taolin, her Twi'lek Jedi friend. Uh, Iskot senses a little anger from Taolin when Josk is rude to him, which is an important plot point for the future. Uh, they then go to a planet called Thule, where they are sent to shut down a droid factory. While on Thule, they find a cave with a Sith altar. Once again, Iskot feels the Force calling to her from the Sith altar. They sleep in this cave, during which Iskot opens up to Talon, and she has a dream of a girl that she suspects to be Feyre. Uh, the next morning, they climb a canyon to get to the factory. Josk tries to connect with Iskot, um, which... Uh, Iskot doesn't really appreciate. I don't know. It was kind of weird. Um, but I think it was just to kind of humanize Josk a little bit because he immediately dies. He oh. accidentally, they're, they're climbing this canyon. And in doing so, Josk accidentally pierces a slug on the wall and a flock of birds come out pecking at his face. And he causes him to fall back off the canyon and he falls to his death. Oh, so many unceremonious deaths for Jedi. Well, and it's notable, too, because, like, as they later have to report this back to the Jedi Temple, everyone's like, a Jedi died by falling? Like, Jedi don't really die by falling. What happened? And they do, like, a whole investigation, and they believe that he was, like, the birds that were, like, pecking at him were venomous and something, and that he was dead before he ever even hit the ground. Mm. Um, so, Josk is dead, but Iskot and Taolin proceed to the droid factory and encounter heavier-than-expected resistance. Uh, most clones die uh, that were accompanying the Jedi on this mission. Um, but Iskot is able to destroy the droid factory. She goes back to Coruscant. She reports what happened with Josk Navar, and she gets into an argument with Yoda and Adigalia about blowing up the factory. Apparently, there were citizens uh, that died in the explosion that uh, Iskot did not know about because they were operating under limited intel. She did not know anything about these other people, and she was just told that they had to shut down the factory, and she decided to blow it up. Apparently, they didn't want to blow it up. They just wanted it shut down you know, a little more surgically. So she gets into a pretty big disagreement with Yoda and Adi Gallia about it. Um, she's frustrated. She later talks to her friend Hizo in the uh, meditation garden. Uh, the friend mentions other Jedi who have left the order to pursue their force gifts. He also remembers a Jedi roughly 20 years ago who looks like Iskot. And if you don't get it by this point, I'm moving on to chapter 19 now. Uh, Hizo is a shady character. Hizo's the droid, isn't he? He's the droid tech. He, he oh, works on droids. Yeah. Sorry. I, I even thought it was like H1Z0. <laughs> okay. You no. have a working class of bad name over here. <laughs> <laughs> um, back at the temple, um, Iskot is given a job to help train younglings on Coruscant. She does this for a while, but later decides with Hizo's encouraging that she will also follow her own path. 
Iscott begins keeping her head low and secretly trains at night, specifically in combat and using lightsaber. Uh, she is finally given another mission with Towlin, uh, who has been ignoring her since the last mission, and a clone named Spider. Uh, during this mission, uh, Iskot rebonds with Taolin on the ship ride to Olgathon 3, where they are sent to extract a slicer. Um, they go to Olgathon 3. They are threatened by a, this. It's basically an abandoned moon, except for one person who occupies it. So you're led to believe that it's the slicer. Um, but they were threatened uh, upon entry that they're going to be blown up if they try to land. And so Iskot once again, kind of defies orders uh, because Talon was supposed to take the lead on this mission, and she just comes out and she just tells the Slicer the truth as to why they're there, and the Slicer agrees. So Iskot's plan worked, but she kind of went around Talon's head. She once again defied orders, and they go to Olgathon 3 to uh, pick up the Slicer, and uh, the Slicer kind of in passing mentions something about the Picorian. And the Picorian was referring to Iskot. So she learns about her home planet, a planet called Picori. And very little is known about Picori. She brings the Slicer home and asks Mace Windu uh, for time away from the Order so that she can try to visit this home planet that she just recently learned about. Uh, but she has uh, she is denied access to leave, saying that they are short-staffed. <laughs> short-staffed. <laughs> As is, Taco Bell. Um, there's <laughs> also, a war going on and they basically need everyone around no and PTO. they can't they can't afford to have anyone, you know, not around that's not on official Jedi business. Is Mace is the one of the denying. Mm-hmm. He is the bearer of bad news and everything. <laughs> he single is the thing worst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then she once again goes to the meditation garden. She has another shady conversation with Hizo about being who she truly wants to be. Uh, later on, Iskot and... Uh, Taolin and another Jedi get sent on a mission to go to a planet to look for General Grievous. And then at the end of this uh, uh, chapter is when the clones suddenly and unannounced uh, betray this uh, random Jedi. And we are led to believe that Order 66 has just occurred. But they don't betray Taolin and Iskot? Not right away. So Order 66 is executed, but before the clones can kill Iskot, she gets a message from a hooded figure from the clones asking if she's still willing to follow her passion and forge her own path and learn about her mother, Feyre, and how she died because of the Jedi Order. She says yes and leaves Talon behind to die. She is uh, uh, immediately imprisoned on her way to Coruscant, but eventually meets the Grand Inquisitor who offers her a spot within the Inquisitorius. Uh-oh. Cool. Uh, as a type of initiation or test, she fights the Grand Inquisitor, but is easily beat. Uh, and then she later goes on a mission with the Grand Inquisitor to another artifact dealer, playing on Iskot's previous role with her master, who is uh, researching and hunting down Jedi and Sith artifacts. They go to a, a dealer that they have worked with before. Uh, Iskot tells him what they're looking for. He basically says he has it, but then he locks himself in the back room. He did not want to turn it over. And Iskot kills this person through the door and robs him of his artifacts. Among them is a Sith holocron that she brings back to the temple with the Grand Inquisitor. Back on Coruscant, Iskot is made a full-fledged Inquisitor and given access to their library. Uh, She later spars with the Seventh Sister, who uses the Force... Iskot uses the force to snap Seven Sisters' fingers, and Ooh. it is brutal. Yikes. And uh, She must have not have had those extra long fingers like Iskot. <laughs> no. Iskot's got those, those I, long girls. I keep thinking about that. Every time I picture Iskot, her fingers get a little bit longer. <laughs> it's a major quality trait. Um, 
Seventh Sister later ambushes Iscot in her sleep for revenge, stabbing her. Uh, luckily, uh, Iscot has two hearts, so she is able to uh, kind of drag herself to a back to tank and recover. Wow. Um, that's another, I guess, important species trait. She also has two hearts. They mention that frequently as well. Um, later on, she finds Hizo in the temple, still around. Apparently, he is cool with the Inquisitors because he was reporting the whole time on his conversations to the Grand Inquisitor, which Iskot did not take kindly to, and uh, cuts Hizo down in cold blood. Yikes. Uh, she continues to train and spar uh, with the other Inquisitors and even with Darth Vader. There's a very interesting battle that breaks out where she is able to... She basically still loses and Darth Vader has to like run away, but she doesn't lose a limb. And everyone was like amazed that that was like the best anyone's ever done <laughs> against Darth Vader was not actually yeah. lose a limb. That's awesome. Uh, because there's another scene where we see some of the Jedi coming out of the, the sparring room uh, with an eye gouged out and another one with an arm who just got cut off. Jesus. And again, this ties in directly with the Charles Soule comics because it is the same Inquisitors who lose an eye and an arm in the Charles Soule comic cool. books. So it's really cool. Uh, eventually, she asks the Grand Inquisitor if she can uh, go visit um, uh, Picori. And uh, the Grand Inquisitor basically gives her permission, saying, you know, this is the dark side. We're allowed to follow our passions and all yep. that kind of stuff. So he grants her access. Um she goes to Pakori and she meets her grandmother and she gets background on her mother uh, that she too was force sensitive and she was given over to the Jedi Order as a child and she was given her mother's Padawan braid. She eventually leaves Pakori to go back to Coruscant where she runs into Taolin who was suspected to be left for dead previously. Uh, Taolin talks about how he, he was betrayed by the clones and he was shot numerous times but his... Uh, will for revenge against Iskot has basically left him alive because mm. he was very upset at Iskot for leaving him for dead. Understandable. So Taolin and Iskot duel, uh, and uh, we basically see uh, that Taolin has fallen even deeper to the dark side than uh, Iskot has. Uh, ultimately, Iskot loses, and she is once again stabbed in the chest by Taolin. Um, again, she gets in the back of the tank, heals up, she's fine. Good, good, good. Uh, she later <laughs> gets sent on another mission uh, to hunt down two Jedi, uh, of which Taolin is also sent. Uh, on the planet, Iskot infiltrates a castle to, uh, it's like a castle belonging to like a Jedi artifact collector slash hunter. This is somebody who was like basically dealing in like the slave trade of Jedi, which is interesting. So she breaks into this castle uh, and she locates uh, a Jedi in the dungeons and the Jedi that she finds in the dungeons is a Padawan that she knew from the Order whose name was Charlin. And Iskot and Charlin never got along. Ever since the column incident, Charlin always made snarky comments behind her back saying that she didn't like Iskot and she didn't trust her. Oh, I bet she regrets that now. <laughs> oh, she did. She made short work of her. She basically <laughs> cuts her down in cold blood as well. Uh, no, I'm sorry. She first chokes her to death. Oh, good. Um, Much more humane. Yeah. And then uh, later on in the in the dungeons, she finds her master, Clefan Opus, who is another Jedi that Iskot had previous uh, uh, history with. Because after Sembervay died, Clefan Opus uh, volunteered to help train Iskot in lightsaber combat, which Iskot was always naturally more uh, inclined to. So 
Uh, she appreciated that. However, she always felt that Cleef and Opus was hiding back from her. And one day when she finally beat Cleef and Opus in uh, a, like a sparring combat, he kind of whipped out this move that she had never seen before uh, in order to basically flip the tables and he beat her. And that always struck a nerve with her because, again, she felt like the Jedi were always holding something back. They always knew something that they were never telling her. Um, so she once again battles Cleef and Opus, this time to the death, uh, where she eventually is successful. She kills Cleef and Opus, but first Cleef and Opus tells her about her mother. So we get backstory that her mother was in fact force sensitive, came to the Jedi Order, and um, failed the Jedi trials, and she left the Order, uh, and she is the one who killed herself. She was the one who went the back. Mom? The mom? Her mother? Yeah. Her That's... mom killed herself, and Iscott blamed the Jedi for it. Okay. So all of this has basically solidified her belief that the dark side is the way to go. Yeah. The Jedi never knew what they were talking about. They're a bunch of liars, hypocrites. They kept all this information from me. This is what I'm meant to do. That's cool. We never see anyone fail the Jedi trials. Um, let's see what else happens. We don't have to talk about that. She finally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is cool. I mean, we don't. We the they information talk is about it. They make it, they make it seem like it's a, a really strenuous thing, but you know, the, the only times we ever really hear about it, Obi Wan says he's ready for the trials, and it doesn't seem to be a problem. Um, from the beginning of this book, they kind of waive the trials for a bunch of other people. The higher public, they have the trials once or twice, and yeah, it's it's neat seeing someone fail and the yeah. consequences of it. And they they mention it a couple times. So Hizo. Uh, he's also force sensitive, force sensitive, and he also failed the Jedi trials. Oh. But when, when he failed, they offered him a job, basically at the temple, and he accepted it. They also offered Scott's mother, Feyre, a position, but she he's declined. A, he's and a went, went from off to do her own thing. Jedi apprentice to mechanic. That freaking sucks. <laughs> no wonder he's a well, scumbag. Yeah, that's why he was <laughs> furious. Also, he's working with the Grand Inquisitor. So um, when. When she was made a full-fledged Inquisitor, she talks about how she was finally given a new name, but she never felt ready to claim that new name that she has been given from the Inquisitorious mm -hmm. until the end when she finally cuts down the two Jedi in cold blood. Uh, she finally assumes her rightful place. I'm sorry, what, what two Jedi that she cut down? Uh, Charlin oh. and Cleefenopus. Oh, okay, not the same. Those two incidents, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so she finally uh, kind of took her position within the Inquisitorius and accepted her title as 13th sister, which is, to me, significant. Mm -hmm. Because this whole time during this book, I kept thinking, I wonder if this is the same Inquisitor, the same two Inquisitors who fell in love in those Charles Soule comic books mm -hmm. that Darth Vader sensed and later killed. But then I was like... I doubt they're doing that because that's like such an obscure tie-in to basically be like, oh, you know those Inquisitors from that two comic books? I'm going to do an entire backstory on that. Yeah. And the only reason that I thought that it might have been was because uh, Taolin is a black Twi'lek, and I've never seen a black Twi'lek other than that Inquisitor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But when she said, I am the 13th sister, the 13th sister's name is mentioned in those Charles Souls comics. And so mm. as soon as they said that, I was like, son of a bitch, this is the <laughs> same Inquisitors. It is those two? Yes. That's this, really? whole, this whole book is a tie-in to those two comic books by oh, Charles Soule. 
This the is perfect for your Rogue ones. That was the best part of your Charles Soul Rogue one, too. I know. About those two and I, I just talked about it last month. And now, and that's why I felt like this book like spoke to me so personally. Because I just went back and I just reread those comics. And now I'm getting this, which I had no idea was basically just a huge tie-in to that specific story. So it does have a lot of soul in it. Oh, it's got it's got so much heart <laughs> and soul, Matthew. It's it's great. Um, and the the epilogue is basically uh, just a novelization of those two comics from Iscott's perspective. Very what? cool. It's over. That's it. Oh man, she fell to the dark side. Well, and spoiler alert: and then alert, she dies in the Charles Soul comics. In the Charles Soul comic, Darth Vader senses a relationship between Taolin and Iscott, which is there. Taolin, uh, Darth Vader is about to strike down Iscott. Taolin saves her. And in that moment, it is confirmed by Darth Vader. He's like, yeah, you two have something going on. And then they ran away. There's a whole chase um, like throughout Coruscant, basically, right. where Darth Vader hunts them down. Um, and he does eventually kill them when, by using do, the Force to have them stab each other, basically. When do Iskot and Talon develop this relationship? Not in the book? Uh, they, it's like kind of slowly evolves, but it's mostly in the epilogue. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, or it's kind of, it's. I should that say was a, that, that was a roller coaster. That was a roller coaster. It is. It's really good. And I love that. You should read all my books for me. <laughs> I <laughs> I skimmed. Uh, what I said in the epilogue was basically just that second comic. Remember that first comic? They were on that mission to steal Ethkoth's new baby. Those are the two. Were they going to raise a child together? No, they were sent by the Inquisitors. They oh, turned right, it over right, to right. like a nursing droid or something with yeah. the Inquisitorius. So uh, it gives a lot more depth to uh, the story because in it, uh, Iskot and Taolin go to this planet because they know that Ethkoth is there and that Ethkoth just have a child. Darth Vader fights Ethkoth and kills him, but the Inquisitors take the baby from its mother. And right. the epilogue is really good because it kind of talks about that internal dialogue that she's having where instead of feeling guilt, Iskot feels like she's saving this baby because she's going to, she knows that this baby is basically going to be raised in the dark side and it's going to be like shown its full potential and it's not going to be like hiding her gifts like her mother would likely be. Mm. Man. So she steals Damn. the baby from its mother, hands it over to the Inquisitorius, and then the next comic book uh, is the one where they get in the chase with Darth Vader and Darth Vader eventually catches up with them and has them kill each other. That's brutal. Were you were you just like foaming at the mouth when you were reading this book, thinking about how it's going to be your next Rogue One? This is just too perfect. I know. This, this is insane. I literally just reviewed those yeah. uh, comic books last month. We need. Yeah, this is like a, instead of a Rogue One, it's also like Max Taylor Spark Notes. Yeah. <laughs> I have, and I'm here for it. I loved it. But yeah, because I was... wanted to read this book, but I do not have the time or patience to actually read. This was this was great. Thank you for this. It was, it was it's really good. I still recommend uh, reading it because it is really well written. And unfortunately, it's really hard to give plot notes on like a lot of the internal strife and a lot of like struggles that Iscott goes through because obviously a lot of it is internal. Like mm -hmm. going from the light side to the dark. Everything I said was mostly just like the actual like physical plot points. Sure. Uh, but it's a novel, so obviously there is a lot of internal struggle, and all of that is really good as well. Um, but yeah, it was it was really good. I give it a 9 out of 10. I think it was fantastic. It tied into the comics, which I absolutely love. The only thing about the book upon reflection that didn't quite make sense to me was why um, Iscott's mother would have given her over to the Jedi Order. If she had already had a bad experience? Yeah. I feel like that's weird. And they, they do kind of address it, but... That that's a whole can of worms. Like why why would any parent give their child over to the Jedi Order? Yeah. I mean, you're a parent. 
Yeah. Would you? No. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> no. But yeah, I mean, they. I, I really obviously... like the Jedi, but I, I'm, I'm not giving them, giving them my son. Yeah. No, obviously they, they addressed it. I mean, that's basically what a lot of the, the book is about. But um, finding herself, I should say, because since she was turned over as a youngling, like I said, she didn't know anything about herself. No one would tell her what planet she was even from. That brings up another thing that I've always thought about with Star Wars is the individual individuality of the Jedi in the Order, even though they're given over as babies and the whole nurture versus nature thing. Like, mm-hmm. what, what does she care about her home planet? I guess that gets into a whole bunch of real world, much more serious stuff that I don't really feel qualified to talk about, like adoption <laughs> and immigrants and stuff stuff that I'd rather you cut just <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no in addition to in to like those big questions as well um individuality within the Jedi order is a big theme throughout the book um because she's constantly Iscott is constantly being told by the Jedi like oh like suppress those feelings basically don't worry about where you're from you're a Jedi now that's mm-hmm. all that matters but the other thing other than individuality with among the Jedi the other big uh theme that they kept talking about uh was death and Again, that just kind of leads to how dark the book is, uh, because obviously a lot of Jedi died during this period of the Clone Wars, and it never sits well with Iscott, because during all the Jedi funerals, it basically ends with them saying, like, give praise, basically, for so-and-so is now one with the Force. And she's like, no, like, this, this isn't, death is not something that should be praised, like, it's something that should be mourned, like, I want to mourn the Jedi, and basically everyone just keeps telling her, like, oh, no, don't have attachments, don't mourn them, be thankful that they're one with the Force. And uh, Cleef and Opus was one of the ones who told her that. So when she does kill him in the dungeon, um, when she's like leaving his body behind, she says something to the effect of like, be glad you're now one with the force. Ooh, wow. Turtle. Yeah, that's a lot of heavy topics. It is. It's a, it's a heavy book and it's a dark book and it was so good. And I cannot believe that the whole thing was a tie in to these comic books. <laughs> I can't believe that either. That That is insane. Yeah. Because I was I was getting so giddy when uh, they were talking about these Inquisitors like getting limbs cut off and eyes gouged and everything. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've seen that! Like that's such good like continuity, and it was even better than I expected. Nice. And then I immediately went back and reread those two comics as well because I was able to <laughs> look at pictures of Iscott and I was like, oh yeah, that's what she looks like, <laughs> which is basically just is she red. unmasked in the comics? Mm-hmm. Oh man. Yeah, look her up. I go back. It's too perfect. This yeah. makes me want to reread the Darth Bane series. Have you read those? I have not. That's a, that's another one that's a lot of good dark side stuff with very heavy and dark themes and events. That's Legends, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. I haven't read anything in Legends. It's, so. it's Legends, but not confirmed uncanon Legends because it's <laughs> a different time period. It's not sure. like Legends Luke Skywalker. It's not no. inconsistent with anything. Right. But, and yeah. Darth Bane is canon and his story... Is just fleshed out there, and it's not technically canon yet, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, one day they canonize it. Yeah. Canonize. But anyway, that is my review of Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade. I give it a 9 out of 10. Uh, if you've listened this long, then you know exactly what happens in the book, but I still highly recommend it. Like I said, Delilah S. Dawson is a fantastic author, and I really hope that they uh, give her more projects in the future. Sweet. So you see me? Do I do that then? I, I was waiting for you to do it. I figured you would. All right. See you, Samuel. <laughs> giddy, 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 folks. Giddy, 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 folks.